Close your eyes for a second and imagine or remember the best meal you've ever had. Maybe it was a special dinner your mother made. Sunday brunch. Thanksgiving dinner. Maybe it was an elegant meal in a swanky restaurant, one of those places where you get 13 courses and they serve it in a tiny little dish like this. Maybe the best meal you've ever had is a singular dish. Homemade ice cream or Swedish meatballs or lingonberry jam on lesson, which is absolutely delicious. Whatever your best meal, I would guess that the quality of the food is only part of it. Who you were eating with and the occasion of the meal also matter. Were you with family? Were you with your spouse? Were you celebrating something? Or were you on vacation or your honeymoon? All those things, the occasion, the food and the company factor into Jesus' last meal with his disciples. First, the occasion. Jesus' last supper is in the context of a Passover Seder. And in the ancient world, it could be dangerous to celebrate Passover. Passover celebrates the liberation of God's people from the imperial power of Egypt. Other imperial powers like Rome were deeply uncomfortable with such festivities. Rome only wanted obedient workers. A meal that suggested people were anything more than that was dangerous. So the context, a meal that celebrates freedom and full humanity, is very important to understanding what's happening at the king's table that evening. Second, the food. A king's table in the ancient world was marked by extravagance. Take, for instance, the daily allowance of Solomon's court, according to 1 Kings. And it gets, goes a lot longer than this, but you'll get the idea. Solomon's provision for one day was 1,500 gallons of choice flour and 3,000 gallons of meal, 10 fat oxen and 20 pasture-fed cattle, 100 sheep, besides deer, gazelles, roebucks, and fatted fowl. Pretty extravagant. Solomon's reign was remembered as the height of Israel's glory. In contrast, the food at Jesus' table is embarrassingly ordinary. There are the usual foods of the Passover spread. The lamb shank, the green vegetable, the bitter herb, salt water. But the table of King Jesus features the most basic staple foods, bread and wine, which would have been consumed at most meals. Whatever is happening here, we can be sure that the King's Feast of Freedom is more than it seems to be. And the third is the company. His disciples are there. These twelve have wrestled with the meaning of Jesus' royal mission from the beginning of their call. They've quarreled about greatness. They've struggled to understand the most basic concepts of Jesus' ministry. 
Concepts like mercy, forgiveness, and love. And not just concepts, but principles to be lived out in action. Principles to be lived out as part of a wider movement. They have also failed on occasion to carry out the work of preaching and healing they were commissioned to do. And here at this meal marks the beginning of their greatest failures. Judas will betray him for a few pieces of silver. Peter will deny him. All will abandon him. Company at Jesus' table is not royalty or nobility or or even capable, trustworthy fellows, but a motley crew of screw-ups who will profess him as Lord with their lips but deny him with their actions. But the good news is that King Jesus is also there, the host of his royal table. We've known his identity from the beginning of Matthew's gospel. When Jesus is introduced as the son of David, the descendant of Israel's storied kings. The Magi arrive in chapter 2 to hail the newborn king's birth, an arrival that brings imperial wrath before Jesus is out of the crib. You see, Jesus is a different kind of king. He rejects the devil's offer to rule the world. The constitution of his kingdom, which we call the Sermon on the Mount, envisions a community built on mercy, peacemaking, forgiveness, and love, even of enemies. His ministry doesn't enlist the strong or the clever or the wise or the most talented, but prioritizes mercy to the most vulnerable, sick, disabled, and children. He doesn't use weapons of war in his parade into Jerusalem. Rather, he rides a donkey and her colt. And most importantly, there are no flesh and blood enemies to kill. To be sure, there are flesh and blood antagonists. King Herod, the religious leaders, the Roman authorities, and even Judas oppose Jesus. But they aren't the root of opposition. Sin, death, and the devil are. And it is from this unholy trinity that we need to be set free. From them, we need a new exodus. So the king sets his table. An ordinary meal of bread and wine in the context of a Passover Seder shared with broken, sinful people like you and me. People like us. But with so much more. In this meal, Jesus will feed his disciples. Jesus will feed us with his very self. At some point, Jesus picks up the matzah, the unleavened bread, a reminder of the hurried exodus from Egypt. But Jesus will not mention that ancient liberation. Instead, Jesus will announce a new one. This is my body given for you. As the Passover lamb is being eaten, he picks up a cup of wine and says, This is my blood of the covenant, poured out for you, for the forgiveness of sins. In Jesus' body and blood, a new exodus is begun. Out of the old order, governed by sin, death, and the devil. And into God's new order. An order based on love, mercy, peace, justice, 
forgiveness. This meal, this royal feast, is Jesus' real presence in, with, and under unassuming bread and wine. It is his very being poured out to liberate a hardened, corrupted humanity, enslaved under the powers that be. The body and blood of Christ are present at this table to nourish you and strengthen you. You and me, who are Christ's bodily presence in the world, we are the body and blood of Christ. This royal table set for sinners like us, with humble food like this, is the means of life. In this meal, our sins are forgiven. And though we still struggle with sin, with everything that makes us less than human, this meal conveys and celebrates our liberation. We are more than what the powers of sin, death, and the devil say we are. We are new people. People who die to sin and rise to new life every single day. And it's because of what our humble, gentle King Jesus has done for us. He has fed us with his very life so that we may live with him. Come today, then, to this royal table. Come to the feast.